We have got a lot to talk about on the OHL podcast this week. So just before we dive in with Dan Mahar, let me say, this episode of the OHL podcast is brought to you by Old Rock Coffee in Sudbury. No, they're not an official sponsor, but if you'd like to become a sponsor, hey, shoot us an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Every trip to Sudbury means a trip across the street on Minto to check out the Old Rock Coffee Shop. Well, not to check it out. Checked it out years ago. Go back every year now when we're in Sudbury. We only get the one time, but let me tell you, when in Sudbury, go to the Old Rock fantastic spot fantastic coffee fantastic owners who are just passionate about their coffee as i mentioned that guy over there is dan mahar find him on twitter at tim wallach just like the former montreal expo my name is mike farwell on twitter at farwell underscore ohl and because i mentioned old rock coffee in sudbury the trip for me this weekend was sudbury to north bay Worst media room coffee in the league. Way to go, North Bay. I don't mean to pick on you. That is some bad swill you're serving up. Uh, Dan, hey, how's the coffee where you work? You know, I'm not, I'm not a coffee guy, um, so I can't really – I'm not the authority to comment here, but uh, but I'm not shocked to hear that, that North Bay is a little behind the times. I don't, I don't know how we've gotten this far in our lives together without me knowing that you're not a coffee guy. What on – God's green earth do you drink every morning? Oh, I need the caffeine hit. I'm all about the uh, Halloween chocolate. That's where I get the, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I get my energy. So, <laughs> Listen, I can't dispute that. I love me some chocolate for sure, but I don't know what I do without my coffee every day or the multiple cups I drink during every hockey game that I broadcast. And yeah, even the guys in North Bay were saying, we know, but they won't even let us bring in our own coffee anymore. I'm sure everybody's trying real hard. I don't mean to pick on anybody, but boy, oh boy, North Bay, you could up your coffee game. Just go like 90 minutes down the road, order it in from Old Rock. They'll deliver. They will do that online. Okay. Uh, like I said, lots to get to. And obviously the biggest news this week, Dan, is Brennan Othman is no longer a Flint Firebird. There are some layers to this story. There were other teams involved, but Othman ultimately ends up going to the Peterborough Pete's your thoughts well first and foremost I know there there's often more to the story behind these moves in the OHL than than meets the eye and and to the average fans say, well you know Flint's supposed to contend this year why would they move him uh what's going on this is a bit early uh are there attitude issues like a lot of speculation happens and and I think here we had a classic case of there were a few factors going on uh, first of all in Othman's private uh life there were some issues where he wanted to be closer to home uh, things weren't going perfectly well in Flint for him this year. So there were a few things going on uh, from the other side of the coin. I think probably most importantly, you look at the Peterborough beats They're They're on the cusp dealing with a, a monster. They probably didn't know they were going to be facing with the, that Ottawa 67s team. And you want to pull the trigger as early as possible and acclimate these players to your lineup. So I think a huge statement by, by the Peterborough beats. That, personal side that you mentioned uh we're going to get into a little bit more in just a bit here on the ohl podcast but let's talk a little bit more about this deal itself and i'm going to go back to what we talked about last week uh in a couple of ways we we talked about really the the pro lens from our friends at 
32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick and how they viewed Shane Wright versus how we might view Shane Wright when, you know, the guys that look at the game through the NHL or pro lens are looking at, well, why would you send a guy back to junior? Why can't he go to the AHL? And we riffed on a few things. One of the things I riffed on was Jeff Merrick referring to the pizza as a powerhouse. But if they weren't then, they sure as heck are getting there and, and probably are now for sure. And your point on Ottawa is, is a great one. Without the 67s, maybe everybody's talking about Peterborough to a degree North Bay in the East. But the other thing that comes out of this from what we talked about last week, I got my wrist slapped after the podcast because in all of our speculation around Shane, where Shane Wright might land, uh, we never mentioned Sarnia, and I was chastised for that, saying, don't overlook the sting. So, Sarnia, I hear you. Thanks for slapping my wrist, and who knows where Shane Wright ultimately ends up going when we all believe he's coming back to the Ontario Hockey League, whenever that might happen. Might happen after Christmas, because there's a tournament he might play in before coming back to the OHL. The uh, Two things that jump out at me, Dan, with this Brennan-Othman trade. Let's talk about the price issues and and wanting to be closer to home notwithstanding a second two-thirds and a 19 year old player doesn't sound like a steep price for a player of brennan offman's caliber to me no actually i think the price surprised everyone is being maybe a little bit less than you expect probably the premier for forward in the league to go for um I, uh, those other factors we referenced, I think, play in here too. The, the player and his family probably had some asks about where that destination might be. And credit to the Flint Firebirds and a lot of the GMs in this league try to accommodate as best they can. They're not going to sell their own club short. Um, Flint, I think they look at that 19-year-old player as a, a, a fearsome stay-at-home defender with some uh, a bit volatile at times, um, but can certainly make you think twice about gaining their blue line with speed. So I think Flint felt they could use that. And then the three picks, of course, yeah, I would have personally expected a little more. Um, so if, if that's setting a price going forward, I think you maybe just created a few more buyers than we might've had. Okay. I might not be quite so magnanimous in talking about this from the Flint perspective, but I think you make a really good point, certainly in moving the player to a destination that works for him and, and, essentially not not screwing the kid in this deal at all. But I looked at this and thought, you know, if we go back to our previews before the season began of both the East and the West, we joked then, and we all know predictions are a fool's game, but so go back and listen, you'll find out because, you know, we were both thinking that the Flint Firebirds might be poised for a second strong year to maybe take the step this year that they failed to take last year. And I don't know how trading your captain and a player the caliber of Brandon Othman helps you towards what we thought would be the goal in Flint. And I, I think the Firebirds probably would have told you, you know, they thought they had, you know, Ted Dent was in the coach of the year conversation last year. So lots of reasons to believe that the Firebirds could at least duplicate what they did a season ago. And I can't help but think that this is just a, a well, frankly, another x in the box beside the flint firebirds and there have been many of those x's from the very beginning when rolf nilsson bought this team and brought it over to flint to terry christensen most recently it has not been exactly an exemplary franchise a model citizen in the ohl let's just be honest about that well absolutely i mean you, we can we can talk about the rolf nilsson saga probably for three pods and how probably unhealthy that situation was for all involved 
Uh, and Flint, let's face it, is not necessarily going to be the top destination for a lot of these players and families. So they've, they've got a few uh, cards stacked against them at times. And But yeah, coming into this year, you're right. You're absolutely right. This was a team that was looked at as a top contender. I think when you remove Brennan Othman from the lineup, suddenly all bets are off because a lot of those predictions were based around him being the premier player in that lineup. And he's gone without a real immediate help with all due respect to Guriev. Uh there's, there's nothing that's going to replace Brennan Othman in that lineup. So you're probably looking at a team now that's more in that lower tier bubble now in the West, just based on changing one player. So, and, and I think it's a funny year too. When you look at Othman, he has oodles of potential. Things weren't always going as well as, as he would have expected. And I think that's true across the league. It could probably rhyme off 12 or 15 names right now where expected to really be dynamic players this year and have not had the starts that you would think so there's there's something bizarre going on in the league this year and i think it's a feeling out process now that we hit november some moves are starting to happen for those who might not be well versed in the flint chronicles uh since the team arrived in the city and owner rolf nilsson had a son playing in the league hawken and he wanted to make sure that his son played and got ice time and that created uh, an unhealthy environment between owner and team management and coaching that led to all kinds of changes in the upper management and the coaching of the Flint Firebirds. It led to players saying, that's it. We quit. We're going to walk off this team unless you fix things, including the owner's son. I mean, it was so messy. And then Rolf ends up getting himself uh, banned from even being a part of the organization, going into the rink for five years, just as that comes to an end, Terry Christensen and apparently some really, awful thing I, I don't think i can even say apparently because he's been kicked out of the the franchise as well so awful things that were said in the direction of a racialized player not a good look at all and let me tell you dan i don't know what you're hearing in your circles but i'll tell you what i was hearing the buzz around the boards up north this weekend as all of this was unfolding because the offman rumors were out there as the weekend began so saturday i hit the road and start heading north and not only did the Othman rumors heat up before the deal was obviously announced uh, Saturday late Saturday afternoon Saturday evening but the the stories that are out there now suggest that maybe Rolf Nilsson has grown a little bit weary of the Ontario Hockey League and what he would like perhaps instead is to have as his toy because let's be clear about this Rolf Nilsson has a lot of money and when I say a lot of money, I mean a lot of money. So his toy that is in the Ontario Hockey League, eh, maybe not as shiny as it once was. And what Rolf Nilsson may be looking at instead is a professional team, maybe a team in the East Coast Hockey League. And perhaps he would like to acquire that team and relocate that to the city of Flint. And that would give his son a chance to play professional hockey in the East Coast League in Flint. That's what I'm hearing behind the scenes. I don't know if you're hearing anything that corroborates that, Dan. Yeah, well, I'll just I'll just start by saying there's the ultimate uh, hockey helicopter parent, right? And I think and we've seen we've seen some of this in the OHL too, where you have some initial excitement when you see these figures come and take over teams in the OHL, and they seem to have some backing, and they're going to put put resources into the team, all to have a relative, a, a son or or nephew or someone on the team and you start to get cynical over time and we've had some positive examples where the the changeover happened at the systemic level and the organization turned around and we've had somewhere it looked like it was just a hobby for a person for a few years to bolster their son and 
with all due respect to Hawken, it's not a good situation for everybody else there. And the last thing I'll say on that point is because that's a very interesting and plausible rumor in Flint. And as someone who has visited Flint and found, I love the fan base there, love the enthusiasm for the game and energy, I just hope it works out for them because you hate to see a, a fan base's emotions being toyed with by uh, someone who is just a hobby for them. Good point. And I'm with you on that fan base. They've been a lot of fun. They've been kind when we're there and we get to meet them. I've always wanted to see a playoff game in there because I think that arena is tailor made for the junior game. And I can just imagine how great the atmosphere would be. So none of this is to say anything about the fans in Flint, their loyalty or anything like that. They have no control over what's going on off the ice and there just seems to be problem after problem after problem and maybe what's happening now hints at a continuation of those problems and i'll just add one more thing to this conversation if the rumors are true and i want to stress that they're rumors they seem to be fairly well placed that rolf nilsson is now more interested in a professional east coast hockey league team that would leave the flint firebirds as we know them in the ontario hockey league without a home and if the league wants to maintain 20 franchises in 20 markets then the firebirds would have to find a new home and apparently the chatham firebirds might be a thing i don't know if they keep the firebirds name but there could be an arena that's going to be built in southwestern ontario city of chatham and perhaps that could be as much as I want to bring back the Cornwall Royals or or Cornwall into the OHL. Maybe Chatham becomes the 20th OHL team if if Flint is no longer in the mix. Yeah, and I know there's a, been a good concerted movement in Chatham for a while to to bring a team there. And and I hate look, I hate when teams move. I hate when fan bases lose their teams. So. Having said that, when one door closes, another one opens. And if it's it, an opportunity for that community, that's that's terrific. And there, the options start to get thin when you look at viable markets with viable buildings and viable ownership groups. So you, it's a short list, and Chatham appears to be on it. And you know, if, if only we had uh, a tiny little town like Toronto that was capable of supporting a team, we'd, we'd be in business. <laughs> <laughs> well played. I had a, a buddy texted me this morning. He says, I went to a game in Mississauga yesterday. That arena is dead. He's not the hugest OHL fan. He just wanted to check out a game on a Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, it has been ever since the franchise arrived. And the problem is, and we got to see the Steelheads firsthand on Friday night, Dan and Kitchener. That's a good hockey club. Like they don't know what they're missing there in the GTA. Oh, it drives me nuts. Because not only is that a really good hockey team that's been well run for a number of years now, they have a fantastic building and even an accessible location. And like, they've got the entire recipe for, for just a success story and they just won't support that team. And I don't know what has to give there. You talk about being well run. So the dork that I am, I wanted to get a chance to congratulate James Richmond in person for being named coach of the year last year. And of course I don't see him over the summer. I don't have his contact information. I'm going to, wait until he's in Kitchener. Finally, that happens on Friday. And I was running around so much before the game. I had five seconds, but I went down. I wanted to at least acknowledge it. I didn't even tell him, like I knock on the door, I walk in the coach's room and I'm like, congratulations. And he's got this look on his face. And I didn't even say for coach of the year, I think he figured it out, but I, mean, I haven't seen the guy in years. And it's like random stranger shows up, but Hey, JR, if you're listening to the OHL podcast, because why wouldn't you? I was congratulating you for being named coach of the year last year because you deserved it and you've still got a good hockey club. 
Uh, all right, let's let's carry that Brennan Othman story a little bit further. You talked about, you know, the player and some things going on off the ice that lead to him wanting to be closer to home and the family getting involved in this. And I think this is something that that is worth reminding fans of and and really any others that are passionate about this game and the people who play it. You and I both heard a similar thing in a post-game interview in Kitchener after the Rangers beat the Owen Sound attack. Joseph Serpa has a, a four-point night, and a lot of people who might just be casual observers of this game would be saying, yeah, it's about damn time, Serpa, because of what you did last year and your playoff was so good. Like, where have you been? And Serpa talked openly and at length in his post-game interview about how difficult this season has been for him because one of his best friends and a kid he grew up with playing hockey, Eli Palferman, the captain of the Air Centennials, died suddenly just a couple of months ago in a preseason tournament. And this obviously had an impact on Serpa, and he opened up about that in his post-game interview. I think it's a good reminder to us all to keep in mind that sometimes these kids have things going on in their lives, and hockey might be taking a back seat for a while. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely critical point to make. And, you know, tip my cap to a kid like Joseph Serpa, who, you know, is 20 years old in this league, is one of the more mature players, but you're still 20 years old. And you think when you're 20, how many things you had to learn still and, and the ability to be that that emotionally mature, I suppose, is the term for it. But my real takeaway from that interview, which is a great interview with Joseph Serpa, where he was so open, was he described it as a process to get back to the player he could be. And it that one struck me because you think he suffered this terrible tragedy, loss of his friend that the whole community was feeling. And sometimes they go, oh, that, that's horrible. And most of us think about it for a couple of days and kind of move on because we didn't know the people. We didn't, uh, we don't want to think about it. People like him are living with it and not only living with it, but going in front of thousands of spectators every couple of days trying to perform and having expectations thrust upon them with no one knowing what's going on in their heads. And and it wasn't just flicking a switch for, for Serpent saying, you know, I haven't been playing to my standard for the first few games. Okay, shake my head, look myself in the mirror, get out there and do it. He described it as a process and that took some some discussions with various people, uh, some work at on the ice, uh, an actual process to get back to the player he he knew he could be. And here we are a couple months later, and he's just starting to feel it again. So the point being that these guys are all dealing with something. Sometimes it's something very large like that. And sometimes it's just minor, uh, you know, a breakup with a, with a girlfriend, uh, a little bit of an illness, something's not feeling quite right. Uh, parents split up, who knows, but at that age, some of these guys are 16 and 17 and away from home and the weight can just start to pile up. So when you see things manifesting on the ice, it's best to take a pause sometimes before just jumping on them and saying, you know, they've been awful this year, get rid of them. They're not an OHL player. Uh, it's not as easy all the time. I want to take this in a slightly different direction, but the same theme. And I recognize in taking it in this direction, it's it's a little bit thinner ice, but, and so I want to be clear in no way whatsoever am I excusing the behavior of a young hockey player. And what I want to do is use this as another reminder that we systemically have a role to play in ensuring that we're giving these players the supports that they need 
uh, to not only be resilient, but to be good people. Because I don't think we've been very good at that over the years. And we kind of let the really talented players run amok. And this is a reminder, I think, to us of how fragile, really, in some ways, these young men can be. Not that it can be. Not that it's fragile to, to grieve at all. But think of the number of things they're going through. What Even if they didn't lose their best friend at this age and stage of their lives. You talked about maybe there's a there's a problem, you know, with their girlfriend. Maybe they're having a fight with their parents. Who knows what might be going on in their lives? But as teenagers, how much capacity do we have to deal with those sorts of things? So you take that. Think of yourself as a teenager and all of the things you had to deal with and then add the pressure of playing a game at a level that could determine your future financial prospects. And is it any wonder that they face like they they have a hard time staying between the lines. So that's on us to make sure they have the best opportunity to stay between the lines. But let's not forget that at this level, they're high school kids for the most part. What were we like? At, what were we like at 20? And then add the pressure of playing the game to all of it. Yeah, which is why I think it becomes more and more critically important to give a nod to those coaches out there who realize they're part coach, part counselor, part parent, part friend. Too often, I think in the old school, Mike, when we were in that age range, the the old school thinking was, you know, suck it up, be tough, don't show weakness, get back out there. If you made a mistake, you got yelled at, you did push-ups, you did the 3M practices, whatever story you've heard. But I think a lot of the uh, new age of coaches, it's nothing to do with softness or weakness. It's just doing what's best for you, for your player, for your team, for your community. And that's recognizing some of these things are going on and maybe sometimes what they need is an ear, a friend, uh, a little counseling more than than a, a whip cracking. So I think a lot of coaches are getting there and, and I think a, a big weight falls on their shoulders as well. So, so we're coming around full circle from where we were, but there's still, there's still some awareness to be had. And maybe fans keeping that in mind would be helpful. So you're not ragging on kids and booing them off the ice or something. Um, listen, I get it. You pay your money. You want to see a good product. Sometimes you don't, whatever, but before it gets personal, maybe just maybe, Keep these things in mind. And it's a good lesson and reminder for scouts too. I'd been conversing with a, a scout since last year. He he loved Serpa from that tournament organized in Erie that the kids just decided for themselves when they couldn't have their season. So he's been keeping a close eye on Serpa and we talked about him a lot. And wouldn't you know, before you and I even had a chat about what we were going to be talking about on the podcast this week, uh, I got a text from this scout on the weekend and he had looked at the box score, had seen Serpa's four points and said, was he as good as the points suggest? And so, you know, is it just an easy night for him or was he, you know, really putting in the effort to pick up those four points? And now you're spotted. Yeah, he was full marks for the effort for sure. But I said, what really stood out to me is the post-game interview and what he, what he divulged to all of us who were listening. And that's the struggles that he was going through. And this scout got back to me. And, and one of the things that he said that really stood out was misread the play, the environment, misread the player. And so scouts have to keep that stuff in mind too. What might be going on outside of the game that is impacting their play. And if I can be so glib as to connect this to a really mediocre Hollywood movie, but trouble with the curve starring Clint Eastwood, a player that he's watching in the minors of baseball is struggling. What does he say? Get the kids' parents down for a weekend. 
let him have some time with his parents and his game will pick up. And of course, in the movie, it always does. But just a reminder, as they're developing, there are other things. So for scouts too, and this scout seems to understand that as well as any, misread the environment, misread the player. It's, yeah, an absolutely uh, critical observation, valid observation to keep in mind because we all want things to be black and white and simple and say, you know, this player's not playing well, he's terrible. This this team isn't doing well, the coach is off of fire him. All these things that we want to jump to because we want simple fixes. If the fixes were that simple, everyone would find them. The trouble is most of these things are nuanced. And like you said, there's there's a million different things going on, a million different layers to personalities, to interpersonal relationships, to even their physical health. So there's a lot going on and, and you're best to consider that at all times. If you want to get the most out of the player, cause you're absolutely right. The environment is everything. The environment builds the player more than vice versa. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the Hamilton Bulldogs, because I think with good reason, a lot of junior hockey fans were looking at that franchise and saying, that's a pretty damn good model for success. 2018, they win an OHL championship. And then in 2022, just as that next cycle would be reaching maturity, they win another OHL championship. And let me tell you, the fact that they've been able to do this in the situation that their host city puts them in makes it even more remarkable as far as I'm concerned. Because you may remember a year or two ago, the Michael Andlauer, who owns the team and is, by all accounts, a terrific owner, not to mention just a terrific human being, but backs the team financially, gives it all the resources that it needs, and also had a deal in place that would have gotten the Bulldogs a better sized, a better fitting junior hockey arena. And Hamilton Council, for like I, man, you want to talk about entertaining politics. I won't get too much into that, but I, I geek out on politics a little bit. What a, what a mess. Like, that'd be a fun council to cover because you just don't know what's going on over there. And I don't know if the incoming mayor, Andrea Horvath, is going to be able to help this or not. But what's going – so they, they scuttle that deal. And you've got an owner with deep pockets basically helping you build this brand-new space. Hamilton Council shoots it down, blows the opportunity. But now things just get worse for the Bulldogs when the city, which owns First Ontario Centre, a.k.a. Cops Coliseum, is going to do this major renovation – and the team will be punted for two years. Like the Hamilton Bulldogs, as of right now, have no place to play next season. And, and it's ridiculous. And you mentioned, so so Michael Anlauer is, a, is about the ideal owner for a community to seek. You got a guy who's just committed to the community for all the right reasons, not making a huge profit on anything. He did this with the Hamilton Bulldogs in their AHL iteration when those franchises get pulled for reasons beyond his control. They, they left town, uh, takes it in strides. You know what we're going to do? What's right for this community found the OHL franchise has the rug pulled out from under him repeatedly on some of these most ridiculous processes. And in this case, here's a guy that saw this coming, had worked, had worked behind the scenes to try and find a solution so that he could present to the fans had the rug pulled out from under him again with the announcement this week where the city just said, Oh, by the way, we're going to, you're not going to have a building for two years. So now, now he's dealing with the PR firestorm that, that could have been maybe avoided if, if they had worked with him a little. So again, city of Hamilton kind of get your act together here. You're going to lose a good thing. And these things are important to the community and you've got a great owner who, how, who knows how many more times he can take kicks and punches like this, but this is who we need in the league. Well, and so to that point, let's just be clear about this. This is not a Hamilton bulldog problem. 
This is not the hockey team's problem. This is the city's problem, and they are screwing this up royally. I mean, frankly, it feels as though the city of Hamilton doesn't give a tinker's darn about the Ontario Hockey League. It, it certainly looks that way. And I, you know, just following, we won't geek out too much on their city politics, but we all know they've had a pretty fractured, dare say, dysfunctional council over the last couple of terms. So if they can't even get on the same page for basic infrastructure projects and things like that, it's going to be hard for them to get aligned on supporting a junior hockey team where, which might may not even be on some of their radars. But what you have there, Hamilton, is you have a, a historic city with a large population, a sports supporting uh, city fabric of your community is, is kind of blue collar faithful crowd to uh, you've got all this going for you. Don't mess it up. You've got a good thing here. You got a team that won the OHL championship last year. You've got a great owner, wake up, head out of the sand, help these guys out. You know, we riffed earlier on Mississauga and the kind of market that it is. I have no doubt that the Ontario Hockey League likes being in Hamilton, obviously likes what it gets from an owner like Michael Andlauer. If you're going to have to relocate for two years, and we were already you know, playing the speculation game about Chatham, we know there are other cities that kick tires. Hey, heck, when Darren DeBobler bought, Hamilton, or bought Niagara, and he's a Brantford boy, and, and owns the, the B team in Brantford. Speculation starts right away. Is a, another iteration of the Alexanders coming back? I talked about Cornwall. Like, isn't it possible here, Dan? I don't want to fear monger, but isn't it possible that the team relocates and, and never comes back because they find they like it better somewhere else or the market treats them better? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the analogy is probably if you've ever, you know, had uh... – been an abusive relationship and they boot you and then come crawling back later, you might've found a better situation. And, and in some ways that's been an abusive situation for them in, in Hamilton. And, and you're right. You never know what they're going to find on the other, on the other side of the fence. And it could be a great situation. Who knows how the, those communities will support their team and welcome Michael and with open arms. And so it's, it's, it's a risky game they're playing here. And I hope for everyone's sake, especially the citizens in, in Hamilton, that they get it together. We saw some really good numbers, uh, attendance numbers in the playoffs and certainly in the OHL final last year. I don't know historically how great that support is. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Bulldogs fans, but I'm not sure. I, I think what's holding us back from finding out how good a junior hockey market it is, is the arena that they have to play in. I don't think anybody likes going there for junior hockey games. I just don't. So, uh, you know, that arena deal that they could have had, if that had happened, I think it would have given us a better sense. But really, in this particular exchange, I feel worst for the franchise. No offense, Hamilton fans, but I think your ownership group is just, or your your owner and your team is getting screwed by a city here. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty a pretty good bottom line. You just put on it right there, because at the end of the day, it's the franchise itself and the kids that play for that hockey team that are, have some uncertainty and the families that have committed to it. So for everyone's sake, I hope they, they figure it out because just treating this team like uh you know like a homeless person on the street that you don't want to help out is is not the way to go about building your community just like it isn't with the actual homeless population so let's kind of figure this out guys okay before we get to our prospect of the week something that's been kind of gnawing at you are the ontario hockey league players that were drafted into the nhl last year and, and maybe really steals for the nhl clubs and, and perhaps that comes from the fact that we were living through this weird still covid time 
and players might not have gotten the same number of looks they had gotten in previous years and and maybe they go lower in the draft and their steals for these national hockey league clubs yeah i mean just looking historically might get the draft i think i think pretty clearly last year that nhl teams were a little bit hesitant to to go all in on ohl players a similar number were drafted across the draft, just not nearly as many high in the draft. I think no one wanted to quote unquote risk their first round pick on an OHL player last year, unless they were sure there are only two that went in the, in the first round uh, with Wright and Minchikov. And those were pretty much sure fire picks uh, in a, in a year when the OHL had gotten more exposure, had they not been had the shutdowns uh, would Owen Beck have been a second round pick would uh, Gindon have been a fifth would have, uh, Bushinger have been a third would Caleb Lawrence have been a seventh round pick I'm just I'm just rhyming off some names that seem to me to go consistently a round or two lower than they would have in a normal year and you know to those NHL teams that decided to step up and finally pick those kids I think you're going to see some real steals because now that the OHL is back in full swing some of these guys are are playing at a level that are making NHL teams really take note and say wow we, we missed that guy how about uh, two guys that jumped out to me when I gave this a little bit more thought? Both went to Seattle. Ty Nelson in the third and Tucker Robertson as a fourth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, no, I, I, those were actually two names. I had. I mean, there was probably a dozen. I would, and those were two that were right at the top of the list as well. We've talked about Ty Nelson before. I'm not sure how he falls into the 60s in that draft. Uh, maybe there's concerns about his height as it, but, but certainly a dynamic defender that easily in my money could have, for my money could have gone early second based on skill set, And of course, Tucker Robertson, what is he 123rd overall that is, I, I think it's going to make some GMs feel pretty silly in a few years, but, uh, but yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic where I think a, a few gems were buried in the NHL draft just based on, on COVID. So a few NHL teams are going to be uh, reaping some benefits from that pandemic bigger picture though here and and i think it's a broader talking point is and i'm sure the ontario hockey league is aware of this but i want to make sure they stay aware of this the impact of the lost season cannot be underappreciated here and even the you know half a season right because you weren't playing the cross conference games whatever the stoppages so the two years that covid severely impacted the ontario hockey league uh, matter a lot. And then the league's got some reparations to make to its players, to the fan bases and to the pro clubs who may have, just like we were talking about with the Hamilton Bulldogs, maybe, maybe the pro clubs found other places to find really good hockey players. And so the OHL is going to have to work and work diligently at rebuilding that reputation as the premier development league in the world. Yeah. And I'm the last one to, uh, to make light of, of mandates or any of the, the public health measures that were in place because of the pandemic. But there's no doubt the OHL took the hardest line of virtually any developmental league there is. And that really set them back. I mean, that's, that's something that just, you have to try everything on, in your power to, to not have that happen just because of the commitment you've made to these players and you're trying to track them to your, to your league. And who knows what fallout there is behind the scenes right now, just to players that said, ah, oh, you know, I had a choice between two or three different options next year, but I'm dropping the OHL on that list because I don't know if they're going to stay open if we have another wave of, of COVID. So not to make light of the public health risks there, but surely the league has to have a better plan in place for how we keep the development train going for these kids. Cause they can't fall off radar. Like they did a little bit this, in this past year. All right. Just before we get to our prospect of the week and see the players that are developing really well in their draft years, at least from 
our eyes. I do want to go back to something you talked about way near the beginning when we were talking about Brennan Othman, Peterborough really staking its claim. And maybe if it wasn't for Ottawa, everybody would be talking about the Peets. But you, you mentioned, Dan, how, you know, we're getting to that time of the season where teams that maybe are still below expectations are facing some decisions. And I agree. I think we're almost at that tipping point, right? You're kind of getting to the point where you know what you've got. And so maybe what you've got is not what you thought you were going to have and your decision becomes blow it up and go in a different direction. But I think this hints at, you know, some of the content we'll be getting into more deeply in the weeks ahead, but we really are arriving at that point of the season. Aren't we where you're either deciding I've got something that I can add to, or maybe I don't have what I thought I had and it might be time to look at a different plan here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, typically there's, there's two trade deadlines in essence, like there's, there's the November, deadline around remembrance day where teams start to figure out what they are and start making moves then there's the actual deadline in january this year i have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be slightly delayed just because of what you said there's a few teams that really believed in themselves on paper and it hasn't quite clicked yet it hasn't totally fallen off the rails but it hasn't totally clicked yet and they're probably still not quite confident to blow it up or make those grim decisions yet, but it's going to happen. We all know what happens at some point in November. So by the end of the month, you're going to start going to, you're going to start seeing some of these moves because these teams all have 30 cards to play with. And that counts anyone that even signs a short-term deal from junior B or something. So they have to be calculated in what they do, but uh, there's a lot of question marks out there. And I don't think a lot of teams are totally comfortable with where they're at right now. Well, and prices are going to be really interesting to me. We already talked about, what seems to be a, a really good bargain, frankly, for the Peterborough Peets to acquire Brennan Othman. Some of the talk this weekend in light of that was also around uh, Marco Costantini, uh, an OHL champion goaltender for a second and a sixth. Now, you look at what London paid to get Sam Dickinson. That was not a small price, but boy, oh boy, I'm not sure. I mean, the Niagara Ice Dogs sold a player for less than they bought him for already this year. Who knows what prices are going to look like? Yeah, it's really hard to guess because there was a time when one player you knew was going to put you over the top or at least put you into the the league, the conference finals and get you all that playoff revenue. But with some wild cards around some arenas where maybe the attendance isn't returning as quickly as they had hoped. So is that worth the gamble financially? Is, the, is there a player out there that is going to put us over the top? Because we saw Bothman didn't put Flint over the top. Is he going to do the same for Peterborough? There's just so many question marks right now that it's going to be interesting to see who's aggressive and who's a little shy. Okay, let's get into our prospect of the week. Who do you have on your radar this week? All right, Mike. Well, this one was t- like I had a, I had a few names. Oh, uh, good. I had to so narrow this I. list down. I had, <laughs> okay. I had to drop it. I had three or four. And I'm just going to take a team that started really poorly, awful first month. And now you look at them at nine and six. And I did a fair bit of uh, watching some of their uh, their recent exploits and, and figured we wanted to go there. So the guy I'm going to highlight is a little off the radar. But I'm going to give a nod to Easton Cowan in London this week. Uh, there's a player who's not high on the NHL radars just yet. Um, smaller player, but a spark plug, a guy that's just giving it all. And he's pacing at 17 years old for probably 45 points or so in his rookie year. Uh, seems to be able to get it done and seems to me to be one of the players that really gave London a jump when they needed it. And those are the types of players that, that, tend to catch the eye of, of NHL scouts, but uh, this week I'm going to, I'm going to give Easton my nod. How about very, you? very, very interesting. And of course you're going to the London Knights who uh, again, 
what you hear around the rink. Guess who's back? London's back. Here they go again. But they just seem to be falling into line with what we expect from the Knights, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, we all knew. It's like that monster lurking lurking in the movie, right? You know, you haven't seen it for a half an hour, but you know it's there. It hasn't been killed yet. And, and you just look at that, what Dale Hunter continually gets out of that team and plus some of the talent they've acquired. It's it's only a matter of time till they wake up to some degree. So, uh, yeah, look out, London. Time to give them a little nod. Okay. It, it's interesting when you did your analysis of Easton Cowan, how, you know, not a great start, team starting to do better, but you looked at the – the games recently. And I, I did a deeper dive on, on this week too. And I started wondering, well, okay, but are the results of late because of the competition they were playing? But then I thought, well, that's, that's not really fair because you know what, if you're going to feast on bad teams, then feast on bad teams. Cause that's what you should be doing. And frankly, there are some teams that are bad right now that we didn't think would be bad at this point. I'm looking at the Guelph storm because they were on the receiving end of some losses from the, the guy that I picked as my prospect of the week this week. But for me, it's a team that I didn't expect to be where they are. They're not setting the league on fire, but they're, they're playing perhaps a little bit better than I thought. And I think one of the reasons they might be doing that is a guy like Matthew Soto Kingston Frontenac's Matthew Soto is the guy that I have pegged as my prospect of the week. He's currently riding a seven game point streak. So it's not just a few bad teams that Kingston happens to have played lately. And even in that it's not like they've run off you know six wins in a row it's kind of a win one lose one situation but Soto has been consistent over seven games with five goals and seven assists so that's 12 of his 19 points it's been a really good month so far for Matthew Soto and he gets my nod as the prospect of the week with honorable mentions going to his teammate Owen Outwater who's riding a six game heater of his own 10 of his 16 points have come in the last six games. And my recency bias had me looking pretty hard at Quinton Musty as well. He's got a four game heater going. And is it any surprise that Sudbury has three wins and an overtime loss in those four games? So it was tough for me, but my eyes were all on the East with the nod going to Matthew Soto this week. No, that's a great, a great pick. And I, I mean, I can go musty cause I went with him last week, but a uh, great, Great call to go with Kingston. There's some right, good things going on there, and they're a little bit under the radar because no one expected it. So great call on Soto. And and I'll just be remiss if I don't mention uh, my runner-up, I guess, this week would have been Cooper Foster in Ottawa. I just felt we were we were going a little heavy on Ottawa lately, so I want I wanted to shift gears. But there's a guy who's just piling up the uh, the insurance goals. So if you want to protect the lead, put Cooper Foster on the, on the ice. The guy's going to score you that goal you need to get you a cushion. So there you go. It's funny. I... I kind of just, I took half a glance at Ottawa this week, sort of for the same reason. I'm like, come on. Like it's, but 15 and one, it's interesting. You bring that up though. Cause we were just in Sudbury North Bay this weekend. And when we got to North Bay and talking to Ty Nelson before the game on Sunday, uh, the battalion were on a seven game winning streak. And Ty Nelson is like, everybody was talking about Ottawa's nine game run. Well, we've got seven nobody is talking about us. Now, I think in fairness, it was because the nine games came at the start of the season, but still, I think Ty Nelson makes a pretty good point there. And we've all sort of fallen in love with the Ottawa 67s this season, but as they keep chugging along, why the heck not? Yeah. It's hard to ignore 15 and one, Mike, and you can probably find a guy every week from that team when they're, they're chugging like that. But yeah, you, what it's doing is covering up some pretty impressive other streaks. Like you mentioned North Bay, right? Like seven in a row, who knew? And, uh, you just you hear these streaks all over, and I I said I think last week uh, a couple times to you that I feel like we're 
we're not ignoring, but we're not giving Sarnia fair play to. They've their their power play has just been deadly. So you're seeing a lot of a lot of reason to be excited around the league this year, which is great. So just before we go, I wanted to share a, a quick story. Having been to uh, Sudbury North Bay this weekend and not having done that in a few years now, I already mentioned the Old Rock Coffee Shop on Minto in Sudbury, which is a go-to place now since I discovered it. Love it. They're terrific. Years ago, our bus driver for the Kitchener Rangers, his name is Mike Reeves. We call him Moose. And he earned that nickname on one of our trips a few years ago, going from North Bay to Sudbury. So the game gets played in North Bay, finish the game, load the bus, hop on the bus to go over to Sudbury. Now, just to give you an idea of my life on the road, I get on the bus, I get off the bus, I broadcast the game, I get back on the bus and I sit there and I either stare out the window into the blackness or I goof around on my phone. Maybe I'll do a crossword puzzle. The bottom line is I'm paying zero attention to what's going on around me because I don't have to. That's what Moose is for. And on this particular night, not like I can see out the front window anyway, given my seat, I'm on the driver's side, four rows back. I'd have to lean to try to see something. So I'm just sitting there minding my own business and we're driving between North Bay and Sudbury late one November night. And all of a sudden I hear the, the head trainer for the Rangers, Danny Liebold, yelling, look out, look out, look out. And the bus swerves and swerves pretty hard. I'm like, what is, and then all of a sudden I hear all this noise. And I thought, oh my God, like we're, we're off the road. We're into the trees. Cause I'm hearing all this scratching sound. I'm like, what is going on? And then the bus swerves back the other way. There's a, a cooler of ice that's been spilled everybody like what the heck and i was i didn't get to see it with my own eyes but those who did see it not one but two moose coming across the what, what, what were we been on 17 was it 17 anyway the highway the main one between north bay and sudbury i should have looked that up before i uh, started this story but anyway we're on that road the moose come out and and our driver mike had to basically slalom in between them but kept it on the road. That sound that I heard that I thought was trees scraping the bus was actually just the sound of water bottles rolling down the, the aisle. But to me, in the dark, when you're kind of jolted from what you're doing by somebody yelling, look out, look out, look out, it kind of all happened pretty quickly, got my blood pressure going. And fortunately, we're all still here to tell the tale of how Mike Reeves became Moose, the bus driver for the Kitchener Rangers. There you go. Well, the bus driver is probably the unsung heroes of junior hockey. Mike had another incident this week of uh, a drunk driver ran into a junior team playing uh, a minor team playing this week, which was a scary, thankfully no one seriously hurt, but uh, the uh, bus drivers are the unsung heroes. And and if you uh, get the nickname of the animal you swerved to avoid, thankfully it wasn't a donkey on the road just for his sake. Right. You know what? That might've been a more fitting nickname. Well played <laughs> by you, but yes, the bus drivers, the training staffs, some of the unsung heroes of this league for sure. Okay. We're going to wrap up this episode of the OHL podcast coming up Friday, our feature interview, Dan, I know you're going to like this. I kind of took a look at the the roster and thought, you know, we haven't had enough Plymouth whalers on the podcast. Now, no offense, Troy Smith. We love you. And we've had Troy on. We've had Pete Krupski on, the longtime voice and communications pro with the Plymouth Whalers. But this time, we find a guy who had his best junior year under Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott. But his first junior year just so happened to be with that London Knights team that had three total 
wins. So that is our guest on the OHL podcast on Friday. Let's get some Western Conference Plymouth Whaler content onto the pod. Outstanding. Plymouth Whalers, a huge track record of, of success. So great to hear. That is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Please find us and follow us on all of the platforms on Instagram, the OHL podcast on YouTube, the OHL podcast and send an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Give us a like, a subscription, tell your friends the OHL podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Your next episode of the OHL podcast with that former whaler and night comes up on Friday. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.